I had Tim here with a message before the podcast. Due to rights reasons, the songs have been shortened for this podcast. Every song is taken from Sleeper's The It Girl. All tracks are written by Louise Wenner. Lie Sector, Sale of the Century, Shrink Wrapped and Blue Ears are also written by Andy McClure. Feeling Peaky was written by Louise Wenner, John Stewart and Andy McClure. The It Girl was released on 6th of May 1996 on Indolent. Now, enjoy the podcast. Tim's listening party was a lockdown sensation. Unfortunately, it was on Twitter, which you can't listen to. But Absolute Radio has the solution. Tim Burgess explores seminal albums alongside the artists who brought them to life. Absolute Radio presents Tim's Listening Party with Tim Burgess. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Tim's Listening Party on Absolute Radio with me, Tim Burgess, where I sit down with an artist to play back a classic album together. So far, we've had listening parties with Tears of Fears, Catatonia, Deacon Blue, Simple Minds, and so many more. If you've missed any, make sure to catch up by searching for Tim's Listening Party wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to get involved on Twitter throughout the show by tweeting at Tim underscore Burgess and at Absolute Radio, using the hashtag Tim's Listening Party. This episode, I'm joined by one of the iconic figures from the 90s British indie rock scene, otherwise known as Britpop. She was one of the biggest female stars in the Britpop era, standing out in a music world that was considerably dominated by male bands, journalists and execs. Fronting the band Sleeper, their second album, The It Girl, was released in 1996 and reached the top five of the album charts and went platinum in the UK. It's one of the lasting records of the era, and I'm very pleased to say that Louise Wenner will be talking me through it. Louise Werner, welcome to the listening party. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. Don't really know what to say now. We've been gassing uh, for uh, you know for a few minutes and um, here to talk about the It Girl. Yeah. And I suppose everything 1996. But what was going on with you leading up to this? You know, what's your life story before this second album? I don't know. That's a long story. What, what I would say about when we sort of settled down to record this album is that everything sort of felt like it was in the right place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people talk about (laughs) the difficult second album, but our first album was really hard. Wow. And it was really difficult to make and it was chaotic. Yeah. And it was... I mean, people don't talk about it so much, but you sort of... I mean, you sort of need to learn how to be a recording artist and to record as a band and you need... You know, you can spend years learning how to communicate on stage yeah. and sort of communicate with an audience but communicating via recording is a whole yeah. different thing agreed and we had no idea how to do that when we recorded smart and we recorded overnight and there were drugs and there was partying and it yeah. was just a <laughs> yeah. sort of mayhem of craziness and we would like we'd record all day and then sort of maybe one of the guys would get up in the middle of the night and just re-record everything they'd done yeah. And I would still wake up the next day. We did it in a residential studio, and so it was yeah, just kind yeah. of... Yeah. It was all a bit sort of bonkers. And I think you can hear that on that album. You can hear that sort of um, slight sort of sense of chaos yeah. in it, which I really quite like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with this album, it just felt like the songs we all loved, we knew what we were doing. Yeah. There was a sense of sort of control surrounding it that we hadn't really had before. Did you have a lot of the songs before? Because I noticed that, you know, you did like three albums in three years or something. Yeah, so the songs for Smart we kind of had to knocking around, but for the Ed Girl, I think they were all pretty much done. We'd sort of rehearsed them. We had a very strong sense of what each of them should be like. Yeah, I think yeah. 
I think of the back of a smart and sort of touring, I kind of wrote really sort of ferociously and fearlessly. Do you know what Insp- I mean? really, inspired by, yeah. I suppose, like in between. I, of, yeah, I, th- I thought, God, I can just, I just really wanted to do it. So a lot yeah. of, a lot of stuff sort of spills out during that period, and I think we had a sense that some of these songs were going to be bigger. Did you feel like you you weren't sure whether you really wanted to do it or not? No, I did. I really wanted to do this one. I kind of, I think of all these periods in our sort of band life in some ways, doing this album was one of the happiest periods. So I remember it almost entirely with sort of positivity. And uh, it was kind of a joyous period, I would say. And where did you record it? Maison Rouge in Fulham. Oh right, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, don't I, no, I mean, all of the, none of these studios are there anymore. It's like no, I never, I never, I never, never kind of like yeah. came into my radar. And um, Stephen Street has though. I mean, on, on a few occasions. Uh, yeah. But I've never worked with him, but I've seen him in corridors of studios and stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> working with other people. Uh, he worked with um, Zetons, who we've had on air as well. Right. And uh, you know, we all know his history, but. And he was kind of the opposite of our last album, which was, as I said, was chaos. <laughs> yeah. He's very organised. You know, he's just very, he has a way of just kind of settling everyone. And I think what he does, and he's brilliant sonically in in all of the the things that he does, but he has a way of kind of just bringing out the best of everyone. And you were a fan before? Yeah, absolutely. We worked on so many of our favourite albums. And I think he was also, he's kind of, he's got some generosity. When yeah. you sort of work with him, he's not kind of, he's not, it's not anything sort of dictatorial or sort of like about it. It's just very, it's just a generosity of spirit. And it's kind of, his vibe for me was always about bringing out the best in each of us. So, all the experience that he has, he shares rather than keeps it to himself. Absolutely. Yeah, very much that. Yeah, it's like good. just yeah. sharing all this sort of like that knowledge and sort of breadth of experience that you've got and wanting to give it to, to someone else. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a lovely thing, I think. I read once that Martin Hanna told Ian Curtis to sing like Frank Sinatra. Really? And I thought, and I've produced a few people and thought, right, who can I get this person to sing like? <laughs> Or, you know, to, to, and it's not like singing like them, it's just to have the thought in your head while you... Yeah. And I, I sometimes like... You have know. something to aim for or something. Yeah, direction. yeah, well, Frank Sinatra's pretty hard, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I would um, say that's hard. What kind of tricks or what kind of things did he offer to you when you're when you, you know, when you're just there with your headphones on in the booth and... I think it's just about, you know, sort of being... to encouraging you just to bring out that sort of honesty. Yeah. It's quite hard sometimes to get those vocals in the way when you do them when you're not thinking about them, when you're on stage. Yeah. And yeah. you're sort of feeling it, aren't you? You're feeling the yeah. emotions that are in those lyrics. Yeah. And you put them across in a very sort of sometimes quite sort of visceral, authentic way, which is sometimes hard to replicate when you're in a studio. So it's kinda of, it was really all about just kind of getting into that mental state where you can be sort of communicating honestly what yeah. you want to do yeah. sometimes it takes a while to oh go yeah on. yeah i mean especially like when you're starting off and you're young and yeah. you know it's um yeah i think the whole recording thing i mean i, I i've said this on, on this show before but i remember you know we just did the night shift for our first singles it was like yeah you know four hours from 10 o'clock at night until yeah, two in the morning right. or something and right. it's like you know you 
carry the hammond organ in and yeah you know the leslie speaker and set up <laughs> and you know practiced like the week before and you know somewhere that cost us like four quid yeah, um, i think i did some vocals in the control room i think i did some vocals actually sort of playing a muted guitar because sometimes when you play oh. guitar at the same time you kind of get the vibe of that vocal in the way that you want it that's a good idea it. or yeah. having us all in the room sort of playing together yeah um, not worrying about sort of the separation so much yeah yeah so yeah. that you really get that sort of feeling of performing that vocal in the way that feels true to the song let's kick off the listening party with the first track from the it girl this is sleeper and lie detector So let's talk about that opening track. Yeah. It Girl comes from that song. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I wrote down, is it about trust issues? Was it something going it's on there? It's not about trust issues. It's not? It's about women being stereotyped and right. reduced to cliches. And once they step outside of those cliches, yeah. Yeah. they are not trusted. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. In yeah, that yeah. way. So that's the yeah. trust that you're talking about. But, you know, that vocal, I love the vocal on this Yeah. Because it's kind of, vicious and fierce yeah and that's the way i was feeling you know because you know we you know women weren't stereotyped in the 90s were they you know women weren't reduced to cliches in the 90s i used to kind of be written about not in the daily mail but in the enemy and the melody maker and called a tart and a witch oh my god i used to do interviews with guys and they would say they would sit down with their tape recorder and they would say i'm gonna get you by the end of this interview by the end of this interview i've all i've got you and so that's the line in the middle, um, the man from Stepford with his tape recorder, and it took a thousand cliches to scold her. Wow. That was really all about my experience of it and how I felt. And I think historically about women, as soon as they step out of the, the stereotypes and the cliches that we like and understand, then they're not trusted. Wow. Um, and that's what that song's about. And I love singing. I love singing. Yeah, that, but yeah, I still yeah, yeah. feel that. I still yeah. feel like a sense of uh, unfairness about it. And yeah. I kind of put that across, I think, when we play it live. I mean, I've always liked girls in bands, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they they, te- they they teach me a lot. Uh, yeah. I remember going to see. I was like, uh, when I was a kid, I went to see Crass, and and uh, they'd just put out um, an album called Penis Envy, <laughs> and uh, I was like so like in awe, you know, of like yeah. th- these three like amazing women, uh, Eve Libertine, uh, Joy Devere, and G Sauce, and yeah. they were like, and they came to Winsford. Which is like a really small town, just like outside right. where, where I grew up, and uh, and 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 uh, and I made a big deal about going to going to say hi to them. And they, so there's about nine members, I think, in the band, and three three women. And they had soup. Uh, they had flags and banners. Uh, they all talked <laughs> to me. Soup? Did you say? Yeah, they all. They all. They, all, they, they brought their own made soup. What's a thermos of soup? <laughs> yeah, it was mad. Uh, okay. I mean, you know, mad, mad for an anarchist punk band. Anyway, and uh, and uh, you know, and I, but I just saw from that moment on that you know I wanted to know about um, you know women's liberation, uh, anti vivisection, yeah. uh, vegetarianism. And all these things that kind of 
from 13 years old, I thought that's when all that kind of stuff was. I mean, yeah. I don't want to come across like um, ignorant because I'm a man, you know. But but you know, but but it's very full on. Yeah, it was full on, and it was, you know, it was patronising. Patronising. And it was yeah. strange, and it was something that I hadn't really expected or figured on, because um, I thought music, the world of music would be much more sort of... And, the, the, and that, that had been got rid of. Yeah, it was kind, kind of. of much more conservative than right. I was expecting in terms of its view of, of women within the industry at that time. So I felt naturally that I wanted to sort of put on my big steel cap boots and... Yeah. Straight out there and sing about it, and that's yeah. you know that's the and that's how what, I love that's how the album starts because it's me setting out my stool and it's just my voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like here's how it is. This yeah. is how I see it. Yeah, it's great the way you sing it as well. Thank you. Let's move on to the second track, and before we talk about it, let's play that classic "Sale of the Century." Tell me about the song we just heard, Sale of the Century. Sale of the Century, I mean, it's just, it's taken on a bit of a sort of a life force of its own since we've come back and started playing again. Right. And, you know, we sing, we play it and we sing the lines, you know, it's it's never going to be this good. Yeah. So just climbing and it's just kind of got this incredible sort of resonance at gigs. And I think people are sort of partly looking back on that period and the sort of unburdenedness of it and yeah. the sort of easiness of it and yeah. the joy of it and people really kind of love it we finished with that song but this was really a collaboration between me and Andy we really wrote this together yeah. in sort of two halves and he'd written his part and I'd written mine and we kind of sort of got both of them together and finished it on one particular night we stayed up all night yeah. writing this song yeah. and we thought this is really good you know when you have that feeling that kind of this means something that you love a song that you've written yeah. And it came together quite quickly. And I remember we went up to Hampstead Heath. Yeah. After we'd written it because we were living quite close by. And we just watched the sun come up yeah. after we'd finished. Nice. The and just like, it was like a little celebration. Like, this is going to be, this is going to be perhaps the song of the album. And it felt like that. And it's amazing when you get that kind of feeling. And it doesn't yeah. happen that often, does it? It doesn't. It's kind of, it's sort of golden, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. quite, and I think, I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes the songs that take a long time to write, are never the best ones the yeah. ones that come together with this kind of almost immediate sense of themselves yeah yeah are the ones that carry yeah and, they can just, yeah. and that's the beauty of music isn't it that kind of immediacy of it yeah of course i mean that, i mean i've tried to turn something that just wasn't happening into yeah. something that yeah should lay, happen a million times it. but then yeah. uh, but it's good to rec- be able to recognize the ones that just happen quite uh, you know qu- quite naturally and yeah. um yeah i think there's been a few times in the past where i've just sort of like thought ah whatever you know but then <laughs> now i kind of like really definitely you, you know 
I think you know since since the mid nineties, sort of like if if I felt something really good, I'd sort of like celebrate it. Yeah, yeah. it's important to do that. I think, I think it, it is. It? Yeah, it really is. It is, and that was that was just a moment for us when we just thought, okay, this is this really works. A nice visual sitting on the Hampstead yeah. Heath. Yeah. And yeah. Seeing yeah. The song. So I still kind of think about that sometimes when I sing that song. I kind of like you think of the genesis of it. You think about how it came around, yeah. and those points in your life feel quite important and resonant as you get older. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. I noticed um, some mini moog in that. Yeah. Uh, I've, got, I've got. I think. I think the guys wanted to put that all the way through the song. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's much better to have it like you know <laughs> tastefully. Uh, I think they loved it so much they were like, yeah, let's just let's just put that everywhere. That's what happens when you find a new instrument, though, isn't yeah. it? You just want it on everything yeah, and all the all the yeah. time. So the B side of this single was uh, Atomic. Yes. Were you a big? Um, Big Bondi fan? I was a huge Bondi fan. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, I mean, she's just glorious. Yeah, she? She, she, she's the queen. She's just glorious in every every single way. And um, it was, yeah, it was kind of lovely to sort of be able to record a version of that. Yeah. Um, Did you ever hear it? I don't know. I don't know. We sort of, we hung out with, I've never met her. We hung out with the rest of the band. I think we were in LA sometimes, so I knew yeah. the rest of the band had heard it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I met her. She's great. I bet I'm so very jealous. Now. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't for very long, but I knew I was going to meet her, and I did bring a copy of I think it's Heart of Glass, the one where she's <gasps> like on the front cover. She, there's this like sort of steel wheel thing. Yeah, and uh, like she's got a face next to it. But anyway, she signed it, and Chris was there as well, and it was nice to talk to him. But that, yeah, it's great. I'm glad you're a fan. Big fan. Let's have a quick detour from the It Girl and listen to Sleeper's version of Atomic by Blondie. The B-side to Sale of the Century. by Sleeper on Tim's Listening Party. Tim Burgess here with Louise Wenner. Next up, what do I do now? I mean, what do I do now? <laughs> I don't know. What should we do? <laughs> what do I do now? The next, the next track is, uh, that's the first single from the album. And yeah. um, it's, you know, I mean, it's classic. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's, we've been doing it, we've been playing it recently, we've been doing some acoustic shows yeah. and playing it in a really different style because Elvis Costello did a cover of this. Did you ever meet well, him? Yeah, he did, did this on tour in America. Did? Oh, um, after we did a cover of one of his songs, he did one of ours. Yeah. And, and his version of it was like Waltz Time and it's it's really slowed down and we've been sort of playing that, that kind of version of it ourselves on tour for our acoustic shows. And it's really emotional, this song, when you sing it like that as well. And it's just that period of time, you know, when you kind of, you know that your relationship's done for. Yeah. That it's kind of, you're in that sort of, embers the dying embers of it and it's so it's painful horrible, right? um and so i yeah i love singing this song. i think i wrote the riff for it when we were just on tour in america like in the back of a tour bus or something yeah in the middle of texas which is so just a sort of random yeah, yeah yeah um but you like you know you're writing on tour aren't you suddenly you just you've, you've got to sort of keep writing and you write when you're traveling and again it was one of those ones that came together quite fast and it's, yeah, it's a favourite to sing, I think. Do you think when you go through, like, an ending of a relationship, do you find it quite um, helpful to be able to 
write really upbeat pop songs. <laughs> <laughs> I think, do you know, I think, I think that's what I love about it. In a sense, it's that kind of that contrast in it. It's kind of it is a pop song and it is yeah. upbeat and there's kind of a sort of cheerfulness to yeah, it when yeah, you yeah. listen to it. But underneath it is quite, it's really quite sad. And they're the best ones, aren't they? And I think they're the best ones that yeah. kind of get that contrast. Yeah. And you can establish it. And I, I don't think you can sort of plan for those things. Particularly, no. just again, it's those things that come out. So you kind of get that disparate feeling between what something is like sonically to what it is like underneath. Yeah, it's amazing that you can listen to a record and think, oh my God, they're going through something. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of like Northern Soul records and they're all like heartbreaking songs. Yeah. You know, but they're so uplifting at the same time. And yeah. I, guess I like makes, that. I like that contrast. Yeah, it makes, makes for good singles, really. I mean, I think singles. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, what was Elvis like then? Yeah, it was great. It was like we went on tour in America in these kind of sort of big venues. And I just, one of the things I remember about him is that he would just kind of, he would sound check and he would sing unamplified in the yeah. middle of the stage. Oh, wow. wow and wow, just sort of fill these, wow. <laughs> these sort of theatres with his voice. And we watched him, I think, most nights. And, and you know what that's like. You kind of, when you watch a band that are sort of really sort of flying yeah. and you just don't. On great form, and it was just—I think it was—it uh, was lovely to to do. Yeah. What record was he doing? Um, it was the other end of the telescopes. This would be sort of this would probably be around girl times. It'd be sort of ninety-six. Wow! wow, wow. So that was that. Was that after like the other side of summer and stuff like that? Yeah. After that, was yeah, it? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think after yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Memories. Yeah. Yeah. Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Here's track number three on the album. It's what do I do now? That's What Do I Do Now on Tim's Listening Party. So next up we've got Good Luck Mr Gorski. Mm. Who's Mr Gorski? Well, see, this this song has got like an apocryphal story to it. Okay. And I'm not going to tell it because you can go and, if you're listening to this, you can go out and look at what the apocryphal story is. And I sort of regret okay. calling it Good Luck Mr Gorski. Right. And I regret using that because I think it kind of lessens it okay. somehow because this really is, I mean, it's just a song about ordinariness and thinking that actually you could grow up to be something yeah. and if you grow up in a sort of a, a place or amid a family where it's kind of claustrophobic and people haven't achieved what perhaps they wanted to achieve this sort of sense that this kid who's driving his bike yeah might be something as special as a famous astronaut so it's about sort of having sort of unfulfilled dreams and yeah. it's quite romantic i think essentially so yeah, go. You can go and look up the story about it. Okay. But it kind of okay. it's, <laughs> it's a funny story, and in some ways, it kind of like it is not what the song is about. Do you think that lots of your lyrics are kind of about you know everyday life and kind of not ordinariness? Because, but I mean, you know, obviously, like um, in between, it was certain, yeah. certainly kind of. I think a lot of them are about claustrophobia. Yeah. You know, but that's a claustrophobic sort mm -hmm. of suburban upbringing I didn't have a particularly happy home life right it was kind of quite dark a lot of the time uh -huh. um and I you know I grew up with a father who is 
deeply sort of unfulfilled and sort of really sort of kind of put that onto us and his kids. And I think that sort of wanting to sort of get out, to get away, to sort of dream big and escape from all of that, there's a lot of that thematically underpinning the songs. Yeah. And again, it's like all that sort of joy in them and all the kind of sort of pop kind of sort of easiness. Yeah. There's often quite a lot of sort of some layers of darkness. I couldn't, I found that stuff very hard to talk about directly. So I often sort of buried it in sort of character songs or imagery that wasn't overt because I found it difficult to talk about. But there's a lot of that there for sure. Do you think it's different talking like like this to talking to, uh, you know, just your friend or...? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's something when when you're a writer, when you're a lyricist, you have to sort of learn how to do like yeah. now I think in music I've made subsequently I think I've I find it much more easy to be direct yeah yeah than I did yeah, at that period yeah. I think I found it easier to sort of hide behind things and hide behind imagery rather yeah. than say this is directly how I feel this is directly what I've experienced and I think it just takes a bit more sort of confidence to yeah. get to that point I understand about the suburban thing I mean yeah, yeah I, I, I had a really nice upbringing really but I was always annoyed because I was, I, I was born in, in, in Salford. And that, that was the annoying thing. No, that was, that was okay. Thing. That was okay. <laughs> Being born in Salford was good. Um, and my grandparents lived in Swinton, and that was, that was also good. Was but also then, <laughs> when I was seven years old, I was, like, torn away from my beloved Salford uh, to grow up in a place called Northwich. Not, not only in Northwich, but four miles outside of Northwich outside in the country outside of Northwich yeah in the countryside where you know savagery I know and uh, there was like lots of barns and an off license and that's about it that was kind of and crass actually crass came you know right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've told you about that before yeah uh, and subhumans but apart from that there wasn't much else going on and my whole life was about escaping really yeah. you know and it was like going back to Manchester as soon as I could yeah. going there from like a, 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 like 13 years old with my mates and you know we'd always put like our money in our boots and stuff so just in right, case we got right. hassled I mean, did, you feel, like, did you feel like that like music would take you somewhere like well it would take you somewhere and it would kind of it was an escape route I was always looking I was always looking to get out I was always looking to get out and then um, and I formed a band because you know that's kind of what that was the thing, really. You know, yeah. I, I mean, from age thirteen, probably to to twenty one, when when I joined the Charlatans, um, you know, I was just always in bands, always buying records, working to buy records, yeah. to get equipment for the bands that I was in. I was always the most enthusiastic <laughs> band members, just to, you know, like about ten different band names, you know, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But it was always about music, always bands, and and always about escape. And I think. It didn't feel like a huge deal when I actually escaped and toured the world, but I suppose well, it doesn't. now it does. You know, now it, it does because of work, it. because I just been to my mum's 80th birthday the other day, and it was just like she was like really wasted and had to get had to get, get, her, had to get her home, and I was just thinking your 80 year old mum was wasted at a party. Yeah, well, it's her 80th birthday. So I mean, brilliant. she's allowed to, like... you know. But uh, 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 <laughs> it's just really funny. Sort this of is like... what I want to hear. It's my hope for myself. <laughs> yeah. but then get 80 wasted at a party. Love that. Yeah, it's funny. That's a whole song, isn't it? I think. Yeah, well, my little boy's ten, and he was like, and he had the key because she couldn't get the key in the door, and he was like helping her. It was was really sweet. Yeah, Yeah, but But it's interesting because you. Uh, do you mean you didn't feel the experience of it while you were having it, but you feel it in retrospect? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything just feels natural. And it's like, you know, it's like. It feels normal. I, I, it feels normal. And, you know, I mean, 
this is a humble brag, but you know, when we had a number one album, our first yeah. album went to number one, and I was just like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to celebrate by getting some champagne yeah. out because it's just like that's not where I'm from, you know, that's yeah. not what we do. Is it almost like you expected that to happen, or? Well. I didn't think it was going to happen because State of Squad and Alma as well at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like we were the first band, you know, of that kind of time to have a number one record. And it was yeah. like, amazing. That's the third time I've said that now. Number one, fourth. Yeah. Uh, uh, just uh, going to keep saying it. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Please, please edit some of that. Um, uh, but it's just mad. And I suppose our second album, we, we had a bad time doing our second album. I mean, it stands up okay now, but we didn't have any songs, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's hard. It's yeah. Really kind of when you're off the back of a huge success to kind of replicate it, that's a lot of pressure, I think. Yeah, so it was only then that I kind of realised that the ascent was quite steep, you yeah. know, and the descent was quite drastic. Yep, they always are, right? <laughs> <laughs> Time for another song. This is Good Luck, Mr Gorski on Absolute Radio. next song is called Feeling Peaky. I listened to The Jam a lot when I was growing up and there's an album Setting Suns which yeah. is one of my favourite albums yeah. and I think this is really influenced by Smithers Jones. Oh wow. And I wanted this to be a single but like no one else did because it hasn't got a proper chorus. Like, the chorus is sort of musical. Like, but it's, it's a real fun song. Yeah. And Smithers Jones it kind of I don't know whether Smithers Jones is fun but I mean it's kind of a, it's very it's, different isn't it on that yeah, album you know. It is. I think it was a, a lyrical sort of comparison yeah, 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 on some yeah, level yeah. but I also think this is kind of of our songs on this album it's kind of sort of peak Britpop as well. It's kind yeah, of really yeah, I thought whatever that, you make of that and whatever however you want to define that and it's kind of you know I don't give much credence to all of that stuff because it's just annoying but it's smack bang in the middle of 96 how can it yeah. not be you know how can you not be influenced by it yeah. you know but I mean it just sounds like really I mean now you say the jam it sounds, it sounds like the jam and that, that is Britpop isn't it you yeah. know yeah I loved it at the time and I, I, I don't, we don't play it so much so now. it sounds great yeah I thought I really did thank you thank you yeah. written here I've just got uh, very pop kind of small faces great guitars yeah that'll do I reckon Paul Weller's been review. influenced we'll by small that. faces before <laughs> For me, Ormod Cons was the one for me. Um, right, right, of course. And it was, ju- I mean, just the album before, but uh, I always remember, like, all the kids, all the brothers yeah. had them knocking around. So, yeah. like, when when we were skiving school and stuff, it's like, you know, just, it's either Clash or, or, or The Jam. I think sometimes I thought when I listened to Setting Sons that it was written about my family and my life. I could thought like, he was, like, looking at us through the window. Well, he was suburbs the, as well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. And there's some of the imagery in those songs, I just thought... Are you, are you literally sitting outside looking in and seeing, yeah. seeing what our lives are like I just felt this incredible sort of connection to it I think so where, where did you grow up then I grew up so I grew up in a place called Gants Hill in Gants, Essex Essex yeah and it's basically or at the time it was just like a it was a roundabout and a wimpy bar and yeah. an Odeon cinema yeah yeah and that was it and that was all there was but we used to get the tube into London you know as soon as you could you yeah. like yeah. let's get out and it was a tube right away to get somewhere good yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that it had that to, in its favour, that you could get away from it quite quick. Yeah. 
I was like a train ride to Manchester. That was really good as well. You know, for a while I used to think that, you know, people who came from, let's just call it Nowheresville, you know, yeah. kind of had a, in a way, a much better chance to sort of like, to, to make it. That's what, that's what I thought for yeah. a while. I think... I don't know, it helps in some level of having something that you feel like you're railing against or yeah. some sort of sense of difficulty that you kind of, that fires you up a little bit. And not that growing up in the suburbs is difficult, like, oh, you know, get our violins out. But like if you have, you've had sort of like difficult family stuff or stuff that you just want to escape and all that, yeah. it, just, it just gives you a little bit of something, I think. Yeah, because if it's on your doorstep, you don't really, you don't realise, do you, really? No, you know. exactly. But enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear feeling peace. Listen to the sound of someone else's thunder. Always racing. Catch you when you thought you'd just get So the next one is a slow song. Yeah. And I like I like the slow ones and it's got a huge chorus so it kind of yeah. like makes you know everything everything's so much more amplified I think because of its slowness. It does. I re- I, I really love playing this song. It's a great one. Still now and I kind of think it's I find it's quite powerful mm. to to play and to record and I think it was quite different for us at the time and it felt like a sort of different sort of take on what people expected of us maybe. was it a fast song that was slowed down in the studio no it, or? No, it was always like like this yeah um like it came out i think there's some of the the sounds on it you know came about in the studio yeah. um and there was a bit of experimentation with that as there was with gorski and all that kind of lovely sort of space sounds yeah. and yeah, layers and all the layers yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um so this always feels like i mean it's quite sort of powerful lyrically i think you know, it's about sort of the cynicism and the sort of narcissism of our political class, whatever you want to call them, yeah. you know, and insomnia and alienation and all of that stuff. You know, the shrinks on the news, the playing chess with the cynics, you know, it's kind yeah. of that's kind of how, where we're at now, probably worse than yeah, yeah. worse than ever. So yeah. just sing it now, it probably feels like even more relevant in yeah. some ways. Yeah. But I like the strength of it. I think it's kind of this sort of strength musically mirrors what the song's about. Yeah. And that feels quite good to stand in front of your amp with your guitar and, and play. And that's, isn't that the best thing, though? The best thing is that, that feeling, isn't it? To have that power. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I only really started playing guitar when I did solo records, you know, on, on stage. Um, and it's definitely a different thing. Is I don't play guitar so much anymore because I kind of I quite like to sort of roam around and yeah. sort of communicate with the audience and sort of feel part of it. But when I do, I just I know there's something quite I don't know. It's quite sort of magic about it. I've definitely been the roamer, you know, yeah, uh, and, and, and and now got into got into the, got into the idea of uh, you know the guitar as a yeah. thing, and, and it's, it's it's very different. But you know, it's um, pleasing, very pleasing to have a guitar. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I love that sort of. Like, I think I love that about being a woman in a band, you know, it's just like I just yeah. loved being in front of that. I mean, you know, it's given me like lifelong tinnitus, so that's my reward. Thanks a lot. But yeah. <laughs> I still love it even so. It's mad. It's like, I, I mean, I can't imagine what, what it's like to be a woman in a band. If, Obviously, you know. It was like 
weirdly, it was like you just didn't want to talk about it. You didn't want it to be a thing. Mm. Back then, it was like, just don't even ask me. Do you know what I mean? It's like... I, well, that's it, because when... when I speak, it's like, I've, I've just got, let yeah. me be. Just not Why even, should it be an issue, you know? And, and it was kind of, you asked all the time. But in retrospect, I think it kind of it mattered because you were treated differently. Yeah. And I think at the in the nineties you didn't want to talk about that you didn't want to make that this, you didn't want to make that your story. Mm-hmm. What you wanted to be was just your story was I'm a musician and I'm yeah. a songwriter so talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah. But all you got asked was about you know different things like your physical appearance or your femininity within mm-hmm. the concept of the structure of music. And women just talking about music was quite rare. See, I, I listened to a podcast that um, Shirley Manson does. And it's, it's called The Jump, and she's talking to Courtney Love. Yeah. And it's just Shirley and Courtney talking. It's quite a short, yeah. short one. But it's just the two of them yammering about music. Yeah. And, you know, they're not asking Courtney about being Courtney, you know, yeah. and all, those, all this sort of stuff that circles around her. And they're just talking about sort of listening to Fleetwood Mac and, like, in one of their dads or mum's car yeah. when they were little. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's just, they're just the two of them yammering about music, and I realise that doesn't happen very often yeah you know so the sense of it the sense of the way women are talked about within music certainly back then was peculiar i was taught to cozy funny tutti um yeah. about being in hackney in 1976 <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> she was like a woman in a band called uh, throbbing gristle <laughs> yeah. and uh so penis and being throbbing gristle i'm getting a bit of a pattern yeah no yeah <laughs> Well, you know, she's just like, I mean, I mean, she's definitely someone who you won't mess with. Yeah, of course. And there were all those trailblazers. You know? Yeah, yeah. and, and Absolutely. And, uh, she won't mind me saying this, but she's like a massive fan of, you know, Love and, you know, yeah. the band Love yeah. and Grateful Dead and the Birds and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you would never know that from, through no. her persona, you know. Ex- I suppose, and that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And probably, she just wants to talk about music. Probably things she wouldn't have got asked. Alright, this is song six on the It Girl Shrink Wrapped. Shrink Wrap by Sleeper. Louise, I wanted to ask you, you jumped, you know, quite a few steps with this record than you yeah. think, you know, sonically uh, uh, and, and the way of like organising the album as well and, and, you know, putting it in order and, you know, lots of singles. Yeah. Um, I think we felt like we had this sort of freedom to sort of mess around with it and experiment a little bit once we were in the studio, even though the, yeah. the songs were formed. I yeah. think it was like we were just trying to hold it together with the first one and get them down yeah and with this one we was kind of like we could just we can experiment see what sounds right add you know add different sounds <laughs> add sort of you know keyboard stuff that we hadn't done before there's brass on there you know it's yeah kind of, yeah all that kind of stuff felt it felt so legitimate to kind of, yeah. sort of play with it in a way that we hadn't felt able to before and did you bring in like a, a, a synth player as well or? no so we did it we did it ourselves we had um a guy playing keyboards for us live who came in and did some keyboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Stephen played some keyboards, yeah. Andy played some keyboards, yeah. John played some keyboards. I think we just kind of, it was very much sort of like a, a sort of a shared pick up an instrument, see what you can do. Yeah. See what comes out. 
Rolling Stones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So dress like your mother. Yeah, I, lo- I love the energy of this one as well. I really love that. And it's funny, isn't it? We look back on the 90s and it's very sort of rose-tinted spectacles and how glorious it was. And it kind of was. It was just kind of a, yeah. compared to now, it feels like a very easy time, doesn't it? But it was also, I mean, that whole period was very sort of hype and quite narcissistic. Right. I think. And very sort of stylized as yeah. well in its own way. And it was kind of, there was a certainly a sense where people got so very full of themselves <laughs> of their own sort of self-importance you know and wow. I kind of there's there's a sense of that in that song and you know some of the imagery around it you know the the thin girls with bruises in their pictures that kind of sort of heroin chic that was everywhere yeah. um people sort of just communing with their shrinks and the gym and thinking themselves self there was a self-importance yeah I think yeah to, and people that thought they were incredibly sort of knowing but me saying you dress like your mother, it wasn't like I was saying you're old. It's like you just, you think you're sort of really radical, but actually you're just, you know, yeah. you're just like it, the same old, same old in a way. So you weren't talking about babes in Thailand? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told I dress like my mum. Anyway. <laughs> as long as you're still wasted at 80 and can't get your key in the door, I think. I think it's all great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my mum's mom, my 80s party. It's a legendary party, you know, I'll never yeah. forget that, you know. I want pictures. <laughs> this is Sleeper with Dress Like Your Mother. It's a cosy place, occasional domestic flares. Oh, well, have you seen her face? She actually believes in haircuts. She used to go, ooh, la, la. And it seems to me that you're on dead away. She used to go, ooh, la, la. And it seems to me that you're on Statuesque comes next. That's the big song at the indie discos. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. I think I mean, we were talking about Blondie earlier. Yeah. And I think that's probably us literally sitting down and going, we want to make a sort of parallel lines yeah. era Blondie song. It's Fair very, enough. Why wouldn't you? you know? Yeah, it's a very simple pop song, I think. It's, and it just, it's very sort of direct. And I think, yeah, I think it's our most sort of blondie-ish song. To the extent, if you go and back and watch the video to yeah. that, I'm literally sort of doing that little jaw wobble <laughs> that, that Debbie Harry used to do. I'm just like, I'm literally, I'm going to, I'm sort of being, I'm literally being Debbie, trying to be Debbie Harry in that video. So it's kind of, it's sort of our most sort of, yeah, our most blondie-ish moment, yeah. I think. I, mean, I can't really knock anything that they've done, you know. I mean, the first time I saw... Um, Blondie on top of the pops, um, number two, Denis Denis. Yeah. Um, and had a huge sort of impact, didn't it? I think just massive because that. it was just like I mean, it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they're obviously you know came out of CBGBs, I suppose. But yeah. with a music program like Top of the Pops, you know, it just unless you read all the magazines and find out when the when the tracks coming out, you just see it there, and there it was at number two in the charts. Yeah. I've just and seen- yeah, and I saw the video for the first time ever and, and uh, all of a sudden I was a Blondie fan. Yeah. I don't think I'd seen anything quite like that. I think it was a sense of her, that sort of unapologeticness of her yeah. and her sort of owning it. Yeah, of course. Totally. Yeah. And she was clearly sort of, she was incredible beauty, but it was like, I'm just here and I'm fierce also and deal with it, you know. Yeah. I just, it was, as a sort of kid watching that, it was, it felt like something brand new that I wanted to be part of yeah, yeah. Oh, 
makes you think of like you know Shangri-Las and yeah. and you know, Ronnie Spector and yeah. you know all the girls who previously owned owned it. Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, I wanted to be Susie Quattro before. <laughs> oh, she's 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 standing she, in her leathers. She, she's fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic top of the pops person too. You know, yeah. just brilliant. And yeah, you, I mean, you saw those women in Chrissy Hine, obviously, and it was just, it was just um, like some strange new creature had come that you could be, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. love that. All right, this is track eight, statuesque. Louise, Gluez is next. Yeah, and that's really different, isn't it? Like yeah. Compared to the rest of the album, and I think that was one that sort of came about from that Andy had really sort of created. Because everything we did on this album, we just recorded on a little four track, so we yeah. demoed everything on this yeah. tiny four track yeah. in our bedroom. Yeah, cassette. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. just turning your cassette over and all, we did like the bits <laughs> on the other side. Um, we've still got pictures of that for a track recorder I think it might even have it somewhere oh great wow I mean all ours have gone I mean we've got maybe one digital one it's sort of Tascam like, yeah. like late 90s but anything pre that we haven't got yeah but I like how sort of I like the contrast again of this it's a bit like um, chink wrapped in a way that just that incredible is it dreaminess yeah slower isn't it again it's slower again and again which is unusual for yeah, us it's... to sort of get into that sort of that sort of vibe but yeah the sort of gentle sort of dreaminess of that verse and the kind of harshness of what comes afterwards and you know it's about it's really about sort of difficult families and yeah. all that imagery is from that and imagery of this sort of family holding hands with gloves on which is like this kind of like emotionally repressed yeah you, can't, good. you, you don't yeah. really re, you don't really um communicate with each other you communicate through layers yeah so um yeah lots of that sort of stuff put into it Reminds me of like when COVID happened and everyone was wearing like plastic gloves. You know, it's like <laughs> so it's kind of like you can touch stuff, but not really. There's always a layer yeah, in between. Always a layer in between. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And you know how uncomfortable that is. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of just it's like it's there, but it's not there. Yeah. yeah. So that's sort of discomfort. It's yeah. quite. It feels like it's slightly discomforting to listen to. I think that song it doesn't make yeah. you feel comfortable listening to it. I don't think. Well, that's always okay, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's, it's like not yeah. everything has to be easy. No. Well, let's hear it. The next track from Sleeper's second album is Glue Ears on Absolute Radio. from Sleeper we're doing a listening party for the second album and the next song is called Nice Guy Eddie so where did he see Reservoir Dogs? Um, God I think it was on like Holloway Odeon yeah or something Corner House for me Manchester was it? yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and do you remember seeing it? And do you remember thinking it was brilliant? Or? Oh yeah, I mean, I I used, to, I used to go to the corner house, you know, for for, the, for lots of the indie films. Um, uh, so Lost Highway there for sure. Yeah. Um, but Reservoir Dogs, whenever it came out, you know, it's like there was quite a hype, wasn't there? You know, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really in your face, but you know, anyone who knew kind of yeah. knew. And uh, I went to see it there, and it's just fantastic. Yeah. It was great, and I think because. You know, I, I, t- I, even though the lyrics are really important, yeah. I tended to write them quite late. Yeah. So I would have, I would have always the the chord structure, the melody structure, and I'd even have this sort of like this sort of meter of the lyrics, how they needed to fit in. But I wouldn't have the words exactly, and there'd yeah. be little bits that I would then pull from sort of gibberish lyrics that I had, and then yeah, I would make them yeah. into a sort of full lyric. And yeah. because we didn't have lyrics written and we didn't have names for the songs, I think we gave them all Reservoir Dogs oh, names. Brilliant. So there was Mr. Orange and Mr. Pink yeah, yeah, and great. Mr. White or whatever. And this one was called Nice Get It In. It was the only one that stuck. And it's a story song. It's kind of a story song in the, in the sort of the way that Vegas and Inbetweener were from Smart. So it's yeah. kind of a little... It's a whole little episode, I yeah. And I quite like odd love songs yeah in the way that the, it's, it kind of is a, quite an odd love song yeah. in itself but it's kind of but it has a romance to it as well yeah it was a single yeah. as well yeah right? I remember um, Cheryl Lesson's trying to kind of emulate the soundtrack to Pulp Fiction you know uh, 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 right. we made we made an right. album where we thought right we're going to have this song we had this song called Nine Acre Court yeah and uh, it was an instrumental it's like right this is going to be the, this is going to be the theme tune to the this is going to open it up and then it's going, going to go into a really dark song and then then it's going to have some pop moments and stuff like that and I, I think you know I'm just trying to bring Quentin Tarantino into this conversation <laughs> uh, let's uh, just uh, keep doing uh, that yeah just keep doing that and uh, so Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction I mean they really did have a I mean you know I mean they still does have um, quite a big thing on pop culture yeah. but I mean at then I just think it was massive. I think, I think it's interesting about the time of itself isn't it because there could be these massive sort of pop culture moments Yeah. and I wonder if that exists in quite the same way anymore you know when things just totally took over and everything was sort of kind of like music was much more tribal Yeah. and you'd sort of you devoured whole albums and those albums were super important to you yeah. and I think it's like I don't know, my, I've got teenagers. My teenagers digest music completely differently. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that whole thing has moved on and is different in itself. And that's part of the reason we sort of hanker after that period in a way, because it just, those incredible shared moments and shared yeah. gigs and lots of those gigs from people from the 90s, there is this kind of real joy in the audience when they're watching those gigs. Yeah. Because it yeah. sort of takes you back to a slightly different... Yeah. period of different feeling and there's nostalgia obviously but it also takes you back to a different way of being like it was pre-internet age you know and it was like yeah it was just different yeah and I suppose like you heard like music in a different way through films and stuff as well I mean you had a did, did you have a song on Trainspotting? Uh, well I we just had the Atomic cover even though statuesque was also in the film. It was in the film, but not on the soundtrack. But not on the soundtrack because yeah. we wanted to release it as a single. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Big mistake. Was it? <laughs> yeah. It was God, really that's funny. interesting. People made quite a lot of money from putting their own songs on that because it sold, I mean, it sold like millions of copies or something, I think, the Trainspotting wow. um, album, but we didn't put our own song on it because we wanted to release it as our own single. single so, God, yeah. you don't think about that, do you? Thanks a lot. Good advice, whoever that advice was for. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you want to know, but I mean, it's in it's in the film, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I suppose that's a, a way that people will always hear it. Yeah. Because um, I mean, 
had soundtrack on CD and uh, I've got no idea where, where that would be. So. Yeah, me neither. But the film's always going to last, isn't it? Yeah. Let's play the next song. This is Nice Guy Eddie. We're now on track 11, Stop You Crying. What do you remember about this? It was also quite different, I think. It's like, it's sort of an anomaly in a way, I think, that song. In terms of sort of the... the well, I suppose, it, is it would you, a classic album track thing? Yeah, I think so, but I think it is that. And I yeah. love, I think the vocal in it's really interesting and strong. And yeah. it's kind of, again, it's like, God, it's got that real sort of, very sort of cheery, upbeat sense of itself yeah it's yeah quite, it's quite so mean <laughs> yeah it's quite mean it's like well, that's okay you know complex issues just confuse you it's like again it's i was like, a lot meaner when i was younger well yeah yeah i mean lyrically i mean i don't, I don't, I don't know about <laughs> as a person but... worst ones? i need to hear some of your like sort of really well i think i think i definitely wrote about walking on water and things like that yeah. you know i mean that's not mean but it's really kind of like you know that's self-belief a... yeah <laughs> Totally. Comparing myself with Jesus and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, 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 oh, it's maybe quite this is just more snide then. Maybe that's what it kind of, mm. maybe it's kind of like, it's kind of snarky, I think, underneath about that kind of, like, again, it's sort of that sort of end of relationship. You know, who, who did you think you were? I was like, I'm not here to help you. Just stop your crying. I'm not interested. Just, yeah. just go away. You know what I mean, it's quite, it's kind of harsh in its own way. I, think. I just think that if, if I ended or, you know, if, if a relationship ended, that was involved in, you know, it was just like, well, you know, you, you used to be like really, you know, great and, you know, and, and now, you, you know, you, you never used to be uh, safe to, uh, to be with and, you know, it's just like, um, you know, write that in a song. Yeah. <laughs> You're never safe to be with then. Yeah. It's kind of a good one, but yeah. Take, it's, it has a sort of uplifting feeling, I think, to listen to. And yeah, underneath it again, it's a bit sort of like, mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite as nice as it initially seems. No. I mean, it'd be good to find out like more about your experience during the middle of 1996. Yeah, so it's middle of Britpop and yeah. kind of like, you know, what do you bring away from it? I think it's a, there's a mixture of things. I have sort of mixed feelings about it. I think that year particularly... I mean, I look back on it and it feels like it was sunny every day. Yeah. You know, and it, it was. Feels like <laughs> <laughs> we were just, you know, we were touring America, we were touring Japan. We were, I felt like we were constantly on tour that year and we were playing Glastonbury and it felt like quite sort of dreamlike time yeah. in a way. It was like that sort of mad gap year that we had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where everything happened all at once. Yeah. And it felt like briefly untouchable. And it was mostly enjoyable. And it was just, it was at the end of that kind of, I don't know whether you felt like this, but when you first start, when yeah. you first start out in a band, you have this incredible sort of lack of self-consciousness and you're just out there going, yeah. why not me? And I, you, just don't, you don't analyse it, you don't think about it too much. You yeah. just kind of stake your claim and it yeah. feels, yeah. there's a sort of brilliance about it. Yeah. And that felt like, kind of all the way through to sort of, the Girl in 1996 and that 
feeling sort of picked at that point. Yeah. And then it sort of changed. Yeah. But for me, looking back on that year especially, it just felt like almost entirely like a positive experience and like the goodness of it, I suppose. But like you said earlier, it's like you don't, even then maybe that's kind of retrospective yeah. because when you're in it, you don't always recognise it. And it was also super competitive. It was so, yeah. it was such a competitive sort yeah. of environment. I and think it, it was competitive, but it's kind of like, it's hard to, it's just hard to re- remember. It is. It's hard to remember what you're feeling yeah. at that time, isn't it? And then it kind of, you know, part of what I'd grown up with was wanting to be a pop star. Yeah. Because you know, I grew up on the charts, I grew up on pop music, as well yeah. as all the other stuff that came in from different yeah. places and older brothers and sisters yeah. and all kinds of interesting music. I also grew up on chart music and then that was there was that sort of realisation of being a bit famous yeah. and also finding that difficult. Yeah. And realising that that absolutely wasn't the thing that was good about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the great things were being in the studio and the great things were sort of having a song that turned from a tiny thing into something great. That is the best bit of it. And that's, that's yeah. absolutely all of it. That Are you into travelling? Yeah. Yeah, you like travelling too. I liked travelling and yeah. the travelling was quite hard. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And you'd, it was frustrating some of the time because uh-huh. you'd be going to these amazing places but barely seeing them. Yeah. You'd go to Japan and you'd spend, you know, a week in a basement doing interviews and yeah, not yeah, see anything yeah, and yeah. that kind of stuff was strange. So I think the realisation that this sort of, the stuff that I'd always considered was the glossy stuff was the least important yeah. and the least interesting thing about it. Yeah. And that was... That, you know, that was a big sort of realisation during that, yeah. that year, I think. Let's take a quick break to listen to track nine on The It Girl. Stop your crying. Stop Me Crying by Sleeper on Absolute Radio. We were just speaking about life in 1996 when this album was released. I have to ask about Top of the Pops. And Top of the Pops, I mean, Top of the Pops, like, you know, it's such an iconic thing, isn't it? But it's also a bit boring. <laughs> you know? Most it's iconic like, things are a bit boring. Yeah, it's like, and it's also, I mean, it's not very, it's not as glamorous as you imagine. You know, it's kind oh, of. Oh, no, it wasn't glamorous. It was kind of really sort of those sort of breeze blocky sort of rooms that you'd be in and. Um, the things that were fascinating about Top of the Pops, I thought, were because especially at that time they would have lots of indie bands with sort of very established acts. So yeah. we'd be on with like Barry White and Celine Dion, and you'd find yourself sort of cheek by jowl with these kind of yeah. huge acts. Yeah. And I find that interesting yeah. and strange and a bit brilliant. Yeah. And but you know, if you've grown up like we did with watching Top of the Pops like religiously, yeah. the moment you first get to do that is it's quite a moment. Yeah. It's yeah. quite a moment, you know. It's yeah. a time. It's a moment. Your sort of mum goes, "Oh, okay, maybe you have got some sort of a this proper band job. thing." Yeah, it actually means something. Yeah. Danny Minogue and the Smurfs. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a true story. That's who we run with. But that's exactly where yeah. you where you find yourself. Yeah. And it was odd, and a bit brilliant. Yeah, it was amazing. Factor forty one. Factor forty one. Yeah, it's like lots of. Oh, I think it's a sort of bit of satellite of love clapping and yeah. kicking going on yeah and great and we're sitting there sort of hand claps in the studio and sort of 
a bit of that. This the glue a, fan. Yeah, 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 totally. And this is a great one to do live as well. It really kind of, I like the sort of, I like the energy in that sort of chorus and yeah. the, I really enjoy sort of playing it now. Um, and it, I think essentially it's a song about being rebellious and not yeah. sort of joining in with what everyone else is thinking just because you feel you ought to. Like, what about stuff that kind of like that you can't help like when you're on tour and like voice issues and things like that I, do you know what? I think I was really lucky that I didn't ever get sort of really sick on tour right I think the thing that I find difficult I find and it also it's funny going back to touring now and realising that you know if, if you're a woman in a band there's nowhere to get changed and you're just sort of changing the toilets yeah. and it's all a bit grim yeah. I find this little grimness of it Mm-hmm. I don't think guys mind about it in quite the same way. I think it is a slightly different environment. Yeah. I didn't relish all of that. I didn't relish being on a sort of tour bus with. I, just, I find that difficult some of the time. Yeah, I you bet. Know, the environment, yeah, that nineties environment was quite sort of was yeah. It's been talked about a lot, but it was really sort of laddish and it was yeah. had a particular sort of energy to it, yeah. which wasn't always the easiest to kind of to deal with even though within my own band that was fine you know we were kind of we were yeah we were pretty sort of good together i think yeah getting changed backstage stuff <laughs> people, people don't think about that. the glamour <laughs> here's the penultimate track on the it girl factor 41 because i'm not afraid of you you're very nice and bad now give me all your cigarettes these little love attacks are making me feel crazy Get my heart break I'm not afraid of you You're very nice and bad now Give me all your cigarettes These little love attacks Are making me feel crazy Don't get my heart break Don't Click off gone <laughs> Yeah, it's got like, just like that kind of real sort of like Melancholic ending that it has and it's, it's an acoustic ending right yeah acoustic guitar yeah and I think we'd not done anything like that before either so um, it's kind of a, yeah it's a a new way for you to end a set kind of thing yeah and it's just I think it just seemed to sort of work perfectly as a closer yeah 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 and yeah. it's probably like a come down we're literally going to sort of bring you down from it now and it's just kind of and it's again it's kind of like there's you know it's a song that's got stuff about grief in it and loss yeah, yeah. and it's got a, a sadness underneath it again but it's quite indirect because that's all I felt comfortable with doing yeah but it is I think you can feel that sort of melancholia yeah in that ending and um again it's a nice thing to to play and we because we did um the whole of the it girl yeah um onto last year I think it was now losing track but yeah yeah and it was lovely to sort of play that all the way through and to finish with that and and bring it down it worked really nicely I'm writing a book about closers and I know that you've written you're an author yeah so two questions how do you find being an author and what makes a great closer oh that's really hard there's no there's no right or wrong answer it's just like But, but writing I think what I loved about writing was kind of this sort of kind of you have complete control of it and it's something you can just do by yourself and after, yeah. after being in a band for so long yeah. and everything having to run by a whole sort of committee yeah. so when you get to write it belongs to you but it's a very slow process and it's very sort of drawn out yeah. and as we were talking about earlier that lovely thing about when you write a song and you can write a song in like half an hour and it can be almost 
complete and it can almost be in existence and then you can put it out quite fast after that yeah and that's got its own brilliance to it but writing in a book is like this very slow drawn out thought about yeah thing and which again is is you know it's got it's got its own sort of loveliness about it but i think when we came back to musical i loved it was how immediate well the book world is very slow it's so slow it moves so slowly keep putting it out move slowly preparing it moves slowly you know and you know and you know from putting out records it's like you can just it can just be done yeah and that's it you can you can record a track and put it out yourself and put it out it can be online within you know days or moments so that i i really sort of i really value I also I value this at the privacy of writing, the thing that where you just you kind of get locked in your own head. That can be a yeah. bit unhealthy, but I kind of, yeah. But I love it also. It's kind of it suits me at different parts, different times of my life. I suppose yeah. you have to sort of do what feels right at different parts of your life if you if you're lucky enough to do that. I guess. But what makes yeah. a good closer? I just something that kind of I don't know something that just wraps it up. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Maybe it's some sort of commentary on what's gone before. Or yeah. is just, or takes you to a different space, yeah, and sort of leaves you with a different flavour of something. And I think you have to be sort of left feeling something in a closer, maybe. Yeah, some say the feeling of wanting more as well, maybe. Yeah, wanting more, or kind of something uplifting, or not uplifting. I don't know. Just some connection. I think has to be made at the end. Yeah. I think, you know, there's Private Psychedelic Reel by Chemical Brothers, which is an amazing, yeah, you know, Iron oh the Resurrection, God. massive, like, endings. And then there's yeah. the Cripple Creek Ferry by Neil yeah. Younger. It's just like, you know, just a couple yeah. of chords, one minute long. Right, it doesn't matter about the size of it. No, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. doesn't. It can and be epic. It can be tiny. Yeah. But yeah. it just has to leave you with something. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's important. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's how we've wrapped it up <laughs> that's how we've wrapped it up we've closed it <laughs> that's it uh, yeah beautiful thank you very much thank you so much let's finish with that final song on the it girl click off gone That's Click Off Gone, concluding the listening party on Absolute Radio. Thank you to Louise Werner for talking me through Sleepers, the It Girl. As always, I aim to finish each listening party with a handful of artists I've been listening to this past week. I've been listening to Electrolane, The Power Out, and yeah, it's got brilliant tracks like Birds, uh, Enter Laughing, You Make Me Weak at the Knees, The Valleys, On Parade. Just all the tracks are just fantastic listening. So I'd recommend that. I'd also like to recommend, I was going to say Bill Callahan, but it's a smog record. And the album's called The River Ain't Too Much To Love. Um, that's an album by Smog. Bill Callahan is, you know, a mysterious guy. Uh, he's put out a lot of records. His voice is very deep. His lyrics are very cool. And, um, yeah, I'd recommend any of his albums, Smog, or just under his own name, to anybody. But anyway, can only recommend one today, anyway. I'd like to recommend um, Herbie Hancock, 
the album Headhunters. Um, I think there's been a re-release of it. I noticed like a lot of people were posting about it anyway, so I decided to like pull it out, put it on, give it a spin, see what I remembered, what I loved about it. And uh, Watermelon Man is just genius. I think we've talked about him, certainly talked about him. His name's certainly been mentioned on the listening party. Uh, so here's why he gets mentioned. Yeah, it's funny, sometimes like our Shazam stuff, um, you know, when I go to like a coffee shop or, you know, here's something that I kind of like. And I didn't know anything about this artist before, but I've been listening to D4VD quite a bit. And the track that got me um, was Here With Me. And uh, it's kind of a popular song, as Shazam told me. But just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's bad. Replay any past episodes of my listening party by searching and following Tim's Listening Party wherever you get your podcasts. There you'll be able to catch up on every episode of the series, Sparks, The The, Lloyd Cole, The Bangles, Texas, U2, Kinks, Def Leppard and more. As always, keep tweeting me your thoughts using the hashtag Tim's Listening Party. Every song in this episode of my listening party was taken from Sleeper's The It Girl. All tracks were written by Louise Wenner unless otherwise stated. The album was released on Indolent in May 1996. See you next time. Absolute Radio. Telling the story behind another iconic album with Tim Burgess. Get involved using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party.